This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Good evening. If you're watching by live stream, glad you're with us. Ooh, if you weren't here in person, you missed a good night to worship God with us. Wasn't that good? Just to enter his presence, and I say thank you to all our praise and worship team, our sound people that make this possible. So bless all of you guys. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up really, really high. Uh, you know, sometimes in this life, our ushers get you one. Once you get a Bible, go with me to Luke 6. Luke 6, we'll start with our tithes and offerings tonight. Um, you know, sometimes in this life, we think we've had a really, really, really tough time. Maybe a really, really tough week, month or so, and then the Lord gets you around somebody who's had a really, really rough week, really rough month. And I, I don't know if he's here tonight or not, but I came into prayer last night and a man was here. And Rocky, are you in here? I, I don't want to tell this without you being here, but I'll go ahead since I don't see you. But I didn't recognize him. And we started talking and he said, yeah, I used to come to church here off and on. And we just making small talk. And then I could tell he was really, really wounded in his heart. And he said, my wife died three weeks ago. And man, you just become compressed. You realize my issues aren't issues like this. And so I, I say that to many of you in here. Maybe your life is a very, very difficult situation. And unless the Lord really puts us on your heart, we, we don't know those things unless you tell us. But when you do tell us, whoo, we have a church of people that they are like bees to honey. They will swarm you with the love of God. They will pray for you and stand. And so we got so blessed last night with just the opportunity to pray for a man that was hurting. So again, I want you to know that, that if you would do your prayer cards or let us know, we'd love to pray for you, okay? Luke 6, verse 38, give. Very first thing the Lord Jesus says right here, he says, give. Now, when he's talking about this, if we were really to read this in, in content, you would have to go back and it's talking about that if, if you give condemnation, you'll reap condemnation. If you give judgmental, you'll reap judgmental. But I, I do believe when you see the Lord Jesus say give, I believe this pertains to every area of our life. So he says, give and it what you give will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So my receiving is determined by my giving. And when you read what the Lord Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about this universal law or principle. When you plant a seed, the ground yields a harvest, but the ground can only give to you as you give back to the ground. And so abundance begins with investment. And, and I, I must be a person that obeys Jesus's command here to give. Now, one translation says, your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. So you know what he just said? You get to choose. 
You give bountifully, you reap. If you give sparingly, you, you reap sparingly. Now, I'm not going to give you the Passion Translation. I'm, I'm going to give you the Pastor Stormy Swan paraphrased edition. You, you sow nothing, you reap nothing. Okay? Wow, Pastor, you ought to write a book. No, I'm just telling you the truth, okay? So I must get a hold of this. And I believe it's one of those things that we ask the Lord to grace me to be a giver. You know what I found out in my life? As much as I desire to give and do give, I can never outgive our Father. <laughs> we just can't do it. And so we're to imitate Him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for the opportunity not only to give, but Lord, to plant seed that. You spoke the covenant with us in Genesis 12 that your desire was to bless us to be a blessing. And Father God, we thank you for these opportunities. Again, I thank you your word's so true in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, bless all love you. We appreciate your giving. Just real quickly, these announcements once again. One Voice Home is we're doing a pack the pantry with snacks or gift cards. They're, they're due two weeks from tonight, Wednesday the 15th. And then um, just through the month, we, we will have services every Wednesday night, the 1st, the 18th, the 15th, the 22nd. The 22nd, we will take communion together. We're going to do something special that night also. We're going to water baptize anybody that'd like to be baptized that night, but we really need you to sign up. So be sure and make yourself available to those things. All right, go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46, and I, I kind of got tickled when I was watching the video about idols, and I thought, man, we've been on this a long time. And I, I believe the Lord just keeps showing and presenting things to us that I, I believe are designed to help us. Now, when we talk about idols, many times we have the thought, well, that's some image statue, that's some wooden object or carved object, and we have this thought, well, I would never worship an idol. But remember the true definition of an idol is anything, anything, or anyone that takes the place of God in my heart. So we ask God, give us clean hands and pure hearts. Let, let us not lift our soul to another. And so we dive in here today, here in, in Isaiah chapter 46, verse Start with me here in verse six. They, people, they lavish gold out of the bag and they weigh their silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a God. Wow. If you'll notice the word God, there's little G-O-D. So he's creating out of silver and gold, a God. They prostrate themselves. They kneel or bow themselves. Yes, worship. So whatever we kneel to or bow to is what we worship. Oof. They bear it on their shoulder in processions or battles or parades. 
They, they carry this, this idol around on them. And they set it in its place at their home, and it stands. From its place, it shall not move, though one cries out to it. And the word it in the Amplified says, one cries out to the idol. But it cannot answer. <laughs> Nor can it save him out of his trouble. So when you look at this, you can pray to it, but there's no answer. You can ask it to rescue you from trouble, but it cannot help you at all. So whatever I, I place or anything that I place at the center of my heart, other than Father God, becomes an idol, and that idol becomes responsible for my well-being. Oof. Verse 9, remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to, to your mind, recall in your, in your mind, in your thinking, oh, you transgressors, don't, don't look past the things you've done, you rebels. Remember the former things of old. Now listen to what he says here. For I am God. And there is no other. None. I am God and there is none like me. And I love the statement, I am. He used it twice, I am. Do you know the word or the phrase I am is one of the most powerful covenant names of Father God. Remember when Moses was going to go to the Pharaoh and Moses said to God, he said, so I got to go tell this guy about what you're going to do. And he said, who do I tell him sent me? And God said, tell him, I am that I am. He's letting us know I am. That's who I am. I am that I am. I am God and there's none like me. I'm God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I will call a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I have said it. I will also bring it to pass. I will do it. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. Now, what you begin to see right here is when we are tempted to serve things of this world that, that, that promises pleasure, that promises comfort, that promises peace and security, remember only God can do those things. And when I, I look to an idol to do what only God does for me, to give me pleasure and happiness, then that, that idol must also be responsible for my peace and my provision. Can't do it. It can't do it. So just in this little four or five verses here, you, you can tell real quick, this stuff's a big deal to God. 
And I, I look at our society and I think, okay, what, what are some of the gods of our society right now? I, I believe one of the greatest gods in our society right now is sports. And, and the reason I say that, when you can make $110 million in 10 years coaching football, that's crazy. But even more so, where is that $110 million coming from? Us. And I look at what pro athletes make and just, and it's, it's crazy those things and our actors and Hollywood. And, and so those things start becoming idols. Turn, turn with me to the book of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Let's dive into this a little bit. I just tell you, as you're turning to Judges, uh, you'll go Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. You've gone to Ruth, that little book, Ruth, you've gone just a little bit too far. Judges 6, and what I was going to say is uh, I'm, I'm ultimately going to get tonight to the God of success, okay? Ooh, it's, it's a powerful God. But in setting the table here, we start in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered him to the hand of Midian for seven years. So I'm reading that statement. And he said, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So I thought, well, wonder what they did that was so evil for seven years. So I, I don't have this written down, but I'm just going to jog back there to tell you. This is Judges 2. Uh, if you're a note taker, this is Judges 2, 11, 12, 13. I'm going to read it quick. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. False gods. That word Baal literally means master. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Now, can, can you imagine, Father God, here he's brought them out of bondage. He, he's brought them out of Egypt. And all of a sudden they start bowing to these false gods. And he's like, come on, fellas. Verse 13, they forsook the Lord and they served the Baal and the Asherah, which were a fertility god. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. I guess so. So what you see here in chapter 6 when he says this, that this was repeated over and over with them. This was beginning to become ingrained with them for, for seven years. So we stay here in chapter 6, verse 12. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, this person he appears to is a guy named Gideon. The reason I highlight this is throughout the Bible, God always looked for a man and a woman that would serve him for his cause. He always just, he always just looks for that one that'll say, I'll, I'll serve you, I'll obey you. So he says here, My Bible's all over the place. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now this is what the Lord spoke to Gideon. When he spoke this to Gideon, this angel, this literally pointed to Gideon's potential. And he said, you mighty man of valor. Now everything in the natural, he didn't look like he was a mighty man of valor. So Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, is the Lord with us? Why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Father bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midians. Have I not sent you? So Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh or the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. So guess what he's saying? You got the wrong guy, God. You got the wrong address. I'm the weakest in my father's house. And, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So God puts him on assignment. Now, look with me in verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and he called it the Lord is peace. Better known as Jehovah Shalom. Now, when he built this altar there and he called it the Lord is peace, Gideon knew his sense of security was God. And it was expressed in the term Shalom. Listen what Shalom literally means. Wholeness, security, well-being, prosperity, peace, and friendship. So when you walk around, you start saying, man, my God is Jehovah Shalom. It, it pertains to every one of those things. Now, the reason I highlight that with each one of us in here, that's who Father God wants to be to you and me. That's a covenant God. That's his desire. for. He's Jehovah Shalom. So Gideon builds this altar, and then it goes on to say, now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that's beside it. Now, to help you understand this, Gideon's father had become an idol worshiper. And these bulls that he's talking about here, they had been sacrificed on the idols, or at the altars to these idols. And when he says the second one here, the bull of seven years old, that was a bull that he had been feeding for seven years to offer him at the altar of false gods. Seven years. And I think about that. 
Is there any ingrained idols in my life and your life that's been involved for seven years? Now, notice what God said to him to do. He said, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image. He didn't say manage it. He didn't say keep it under control. God said destroy it. Get it out of your life. Eliminate it. Now I go back to all this and and remember this same Gideon was the one who said to God, where have you been? Why have you quit doing miracles? Why isn't this or this happening? Well, the reason it wasn't happening is because they were so entrenched in idol worship that God couldn't do what he desired to do. And I wonder that in our lives. If God is saying, get rid of those things in your house. I I shared this a couple months ago, this story, but there was a missionary who was in the nation of India. And one of his first days there, he sees this woman at an altar sacrificing a chicken to this God. Blood and everything. And he was shocked that he saw blatant worship and sacrifice to idols. So a couple of days later, he runs into this lady. He finds out she's extremely educated. She tells him, I've spent, I've spent time in the States. And she said, he said, where at? She said, New York City. And he said, how'd you like New York City? And she said, I hated it. She said, I've never seen so much idol worship than I did in America. This guy's blown away. I, I just witnessed her killing a chicken. And she says this, so he says, Tell me what you mean by the idol worship in America. And he said, the Americans, they worship the idol of their stomach. They are engulfed with food. He said they will, or she said they will stand in lines for an hour waiting to eat. And then when they eat, they overeat and they overeat. And when he, when he said that story, I said, I'm guilty. I've waited, I've waited at a restaurant an hour. And then he said, well, what else? And she said, I was appalled. I went into their house. And every room in their house had this idol called a TV. And she said, in their main living room, right up on the wall was a TV. She said their life centered around the TV, but she said that wasn't worse. The worst idol of them all was their cell phone. They freak out when they don't have their cell phone. Have any of you freaked out without your cell phone? I have. Let me give you a little secret. There was life before the cell phone. They're, they're really, it actually took place. But I look at all this that took place with Gideon and our unhealthy obsessions with the things of this world 
literally start interfering with our relationship with Father God. So the more I watch TV, the more I'm on my cell phone, the more I'm packing, I'm working on the role of the pastor. Literally. I push Father God farther away. And I stop putting God on the back burner. And, and the word of God is no longer priority. Coming and, and fellowshipping with the saints, it's no longer priority. And so we will sacrifice an hour at the restaurant, but dear God, let's not sacrifice an hour for church. Wow. So I look at all this that took place with O'Gideon. And ultimately, he got him back to worshiping God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And as we head here, I'm, I'm going to dive in a little bit tonight. We'll see how far I get on the God of success. And the God of success, we attach it to personal goals, personal objectives. And the more we dive into success, we become very driven to succeed. Almost to the point of it becomes a, a daily fix, a drug that consumes me. And the price of success We put it on our altar. And the God of success looks for applause. It looks for envy. It looks for personal achievement. It looks for prestige. It looks for fame. But when we don't do it God's way, that's a counterfeit. I can tell you biblically God desires that you prosper. And God desires that you walk in good success. Give me a verse. Well, I'm going to. Joshua 1.8. The Lord said, get in the word. Speak the word. Don't let the word of God depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it. Recite on it then day and night that you may observe to do it. And, and then you'll make your way prosperous. And then you'll have good success. So in that statement there, God is not against me and you prospering and having good success, but it's got to be done his way. And then the big question is, when you start prospering and when you start experiencing success, who gets the praise? Who gets the glory? Me? Look at me. Matthew 5. Verse 5, blessed. That word blessed here indicates large or long duration. Blessed is a grace word that expresses the special joys and satisfaction granted to the person who experiences salvation. The word blessed means happy, fortunate, to be envied. So listen to what he says. Blessed are the meek. Not the weak, the meek. The word meek means humble. It also means unassuming. So off of this here, he says, blessed are the meek. 
The uh, Passion Translation says, you claim nothing is yours. You're submitted to the master. So meek right here has to do with submission. Who or what are you submitted to? So this is what he's talking about here. The message says, you're content with just who you are. So I begin to think on these lines, and one of the closest words to success we use is the word blessed. And we use the word blessed in a humble way of saying, I'm successful. Now we've got to define success again. One area of success is what I've done or what I've accomplished. But the word blessed means I haven't done something, but something has been done for me. So one gives glory to self, the other gives glory to God. And what you find out about the God of success, that success doesn't satisfy. You can have a lot to live on and still not have anything to live for. Woo. He ends verse five and says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The message says, you will be proud owners of everything that can't be bought. So I go on this and I look and the world's view of success, it puts the emphasis on me, self-sufficient, self-reliance. I got it all figured out. And what begins to happen is that self-reliance, self-success, it becomes an idol of my life. Now, I don't know if you've ever played the game called the game of life. Some of you said, I've never even heard of that. Well, there's an actual game called the game of life. And, and the game of life, the object or the goal is he who has the most toys wins. Now, you may not have played the game of life, but you are playing the game of life, literally. I remember years ago, there was a bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Not in the kingdom of God. Not in God's kingdom. Turn with me to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. So, is God against me being successful? Not at all. When I do it his way and he gets the glory and the honor. And I live with a heart of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. But our world, 
our society says you must promote yourself. That's social media to a T. I must promote myself. But it's interesting. Jesus says you must deny yourselves. So deny oneself is to get rid of anything that's false or external that has me. Look at me, look at me. And he goes on to say in this verse, and take up his cross and follow me. To take up the cross, it literally means I must renounce all my self-centered ambitions. I gotta die to self. Verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Now, the question off of that was this. What am I willing to give up for my own soul? You can gain the whole world but lose your own soul. And so again, you can have everything. You can accumulate everything. But when this life ends, what good's it going to do? And I believe this is what he's telling us. And he goes on to say, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? And sometimes as human beings, we use this phrase, that's to die for. Ooh, that lemon meringue pie, that's to die for. So you would be willing to, no, but it's, it's, a, it's a statement or a phrase we use a lot. So let me ask you something. What, what, what would you die for? What, what would be on the altar that you would give up eternity for this? Wow. Listen to this socialist Definition of success. Prestige that comes from an elevated social status. From an elevated social status. So I, I think of all these, these lines here, I think, sometimes just a little mark on our shirt become viewed as Look how valuable I am. Look what I have. What do you mean by that? Some people have a little polo guy on their shirt. Some people have a little MK, a little Michael Coors. I mean, I, I, I can look at shirts. I, I, I can look at emblems, and I can tell you a lot of times exactly what that is. And so before long, guess what we think? My identity is more in Mr. Polo than Jesus Christ. So we think because what we wear qualifies us in this certain social status. And Jesus said, die to that, don't go that way. 
Your identity is not in that. Your identity is in me. And so, you know, it can be in my car. It can be in my shoes. It can be in your purse. And again, I'm not saying God's against you having those. But when those things become my identity, those things have now become an idol. And I've moved the Lord out and said, it's not you. And guess what? Not one of us in this room, not one of you online, say none of us are exempt from this. And it just keeps pulling on us. And I didn't even get close to finishing. So I begin to look at all this, I think. Man, Father God, I, I welcome you to grace me. That there's some things in my life that I gotta start tearing down. I gotta say, uh-uh, uh-uh. I, I don't want those things to take God's place in my life. And the things that may dominate me, they may not be dominating you, but you may have something. Why don't you stand up with me before I really get in trouble. I was getting ready to really take off, but maybe we shouldn't. Just a couple thoughts. So again, the God of success. So I said, Lord, I welcome a grace from you that is meek. I, I welcome. Grace me to be meek. Now, if you pray that and you're really sincere on that, whoo, get ready, okay? And I've used this analogy before. Sometimes, I'll sense God, he'll, he'll bring out these little tweezers and he'll, and then before long, he's got a little bit bigger hedge climbers and before long, he's got these ones that he can really whack on you and then you know God means business when you hear him fire up the chainsaw. And you're like, oh my gosh. But what I found in my life that when I allow God to start purging me, my flesh bucks. The Lord will get after me at times for my watching of TV. How many of you know you watch too much TV? I watch too much TV. And Lord, will, I'm glad some of you are honest. The rest of you are praying for liars here in just about two minutes, okay? And so when I say, all right, Lord, work on me on that. Oh my gosh. Man, he begins to move in me. But guess what? Me decreases and he begins to increase. And the more I decrease and the more he increases, the more peace I begin to live under. I'm like, oh my gosh. Man, let's pray. Let me, let me quit here. Father God, we love you. We honor you tonight. If that's you tonight, you just say, Lord, just grace us with me. I, I, I desire to be meek for you. Father God, that you would wash us, that you would cleanse us, you would grace us. And Lord, that in any areas of our life that there are idols that need to be torn down in our lives, expose them to us. Oh, open our hearts up to these, Father God. And just as, as you used a, a mighty man named Gideon, Lord, that you would use us to begin to remove the things in our lives, our homes, and Lord, we thank you right now that any success that we experience, any promotion, oh Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for taking care of us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.